are listening to the Traditional Outdoors Podcast. This episode of the Traditional Outdoors Podcast is brought to you by Java Man Archery, building traditional bows since 1994. Java Man offers 12 models of hybrid longbows and recurves featuring accuracy-enhancing forward handles as well as Asiatic-inspired models. Greg Coffey's forte is short hunting bows that pull unusually smoothly, even with longer draw lengths. Greg's custom bows can be ordered in a variety of configurations, from plain to fancy, including hand-carved functional art in the riser. He offers all of his models in one-piece or two-piece takedowns using the bow bolt system. Now, Greg's newest model developed in May of 2018, the Impala Longbow, is available in lengths of 64 to 70 inches. And the Impala meets IFAA regulations for serious competitors on the target course. Now, I got to meet Greg in person earlier this year and spent a good bit of time talking with him. He's knowledgeable, easy to talk to, and just seems to be an all-around great guy. If you're thinking about a new bow, be sure to consider Java Man Archery and give Greg a call. And be sure to tell him you heard about Java Man Archery on this podcast. You can learn more about Greg's bows, place an order, or obtain contact information on his website at www.javamanarchery.com. Now on to the show. Well, welcome to the podcast, everyone. Uh, Even though we're actually, this will be a week after, I do want to take time to wish all of our listeners a uh, happy Thanksgiving. Uh, we're recording this actually the Wednesday night before Thanksgiving. So um, you won't hear it until a full week after Thanksgiving. So I apologize. I didn't think about that last week when when we were doing the recording. So happy Thanksgiving, everyone. If uh, I hope you're having a, a very successful season. And um, if you've still got time left, like some of us do, uh, good luck with the rest of your season. I'm I'm running solo tonight because it's the Thanksgiving holiday. Nick had some uh, family come into town, so he had to bow out tonight. Uh, we played a little uh, message tag back and forth, and Nick wanted me to tell everyone that he had had a, um, a, a dilemma with social media, and he wasn't able to make it after some of the comments we made last week. But uh, he'll be back. He'll be back next week. He's just taking some time with his family. But tonight, uh, man, I'm so excited. We've been, I've been trying to get this conversation with this gentleman lined up here for, uh, for several weeks. Tonight, we've got Mr. Robert Carter, known to many of us as simply RC on the show. How's it going, RC? It's going good. How are you? You know what? I'm, I'm actually looking forward to a, a few days off for the Thanksgiving holiday. I'll, I'll spend, uh, I'll spend all day tomorrow with with family and friends, and then I'll have a few things I have to do here around the house Friday morning, but then hoping to get some time in the woods Friday afternoon, and if the weather will hold up uh, Saturday and Sunday. You got big plans for Thanksgiving? Oh, yeah. I'm, uh, I got my grandson and son here. We'll, we'll eat good, no doubt. I hope to go hunting tomorrow morning, and uh, maybe Friday morning, and then it's back to work for me on Saturday. But uh, we we always enjoy the holidays. Yeah, let's don't use the W word though until we have to. <laughs> I hear you. Hey. So R C, I you know what's funny? I we we so we live in the same state. I know you're down in. I guess you would be considered South Georgia, wouldn't you? Yeah, Southeast Georgia. I'm uh, I think about a uh, less than a hundred miles from the Florida line. 
Okay. I knew it was, I knew it was a pretty good ways down. I know I thought you were, you were past what's considered middle Georgia. And you know, it's funny. I actually met you, um, inadvertently through trad gang cut years ago. Um, and we didn't actually ever meet face to face until, ah, uh, what was that? 2013 or 2014 down at, uh, Oak Mogi for that, uh, hill, hill gang hog hunt that they, they had a couple of years. You remember that? Oh yeah. I remember it was, uh, it was like 20 degrees <laughs> at night. It was, it was pretty tough. It, I, I can tell you from memory, it was 17 degrees and 20 mile an hour winds. And <laughs> what was so funny is, is, uh, Nick from the podcast and, and Tom who, who co-hosts sometimes they all made the trip down as well. And I found out later that those two characters had planned to pull up and hop out of their car wearing shorts and, and flip flops and, and give us Southern boys a hard time about how cold, quote, cold it was. And yeah, that didn't happen. They about froze. <laughs> It was cold cold in that swamp. (laughs) Yeah, when I I got out of my tent the first morning, everything I had was frozen except for the water I had in my cooler. (laughs) It was cold. Yeah, that was the the same way with us. Nick Nick got leg cramps one night. He actually wrote an article about this, but he woke up with leg cramps one night and got up and tried to get a bunch of water, and all we could hear was him outside smashing containers of ice trying to get enough (laughs) – Get enough water out of it to to ease the leg cramp. Man, I'm glad. I was glad he didn't make it. We can just we can talk about him without him being here. He can't defend himself. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah, yeah. And you ended up getting was, a hog that that hunt, didn't you? I did. It was it was blind luck. I got on pigs a couple of times. I actually saw the first bear I've ever seen down there. They were cutting some timber, and I was on the highway coming from town, and they were cutting some timber, and I thought it was a big boar hog in the road down there from me and when i began to get pretty close to it it was a heck of a nice bear and now that i've uh i hunt with some guys up north that that kill bears i hadn't but but judging from the size of their bears this bear probably weighed 350 pounds he was huge and uh i I managed to get a, a halfway decent picture of him before he got gone but i think the loggers had pushed him out of his den or whatever and uh i was lucky enough to get to see him it was pretty cool. Very cool. The only thing, if I remember correctly, the only thing we saw down there that weekend was was armadillos. But uh, you know, I, we we definitely weren't in the minority. I think you were the only one that that actually, not surprisingly, had had a shot at a hog. But uh, well, it's kind of a it was kind of a cool cool story with the pig. I, I had uh, I had walked my legs off trying to find one. And was sitting down a grassy road there eating a sandwich, taking a break. And I looked up and there's some pigs walking across the road <laughs> and uh, coming from where I had been walking. And, uh, I managed to get the wind ride and, uh, and got, I don't know, it was probably 10 or 12 yards from one and made a, a lucky shot and, and got him. It was, uh, sometimes you put enough footwork in and, and, uh, maybe the good Lord just sends you one. I don't know. Who knows? <laughs> Well, I don't, I don't know, RC. I wouldn't call it, I wouldn't call it lucky. I, I, I've seen you do enough damage. Now, if it was Chris Spike shooting, maybe that was luck, but not, not you. I, <laughs> hey. I'm going to say stuff like that through this podcast to goad him to being on here. So, uh, <laughs> give his side hey, of the story. I, I will say this. I, I've hunted with quite a few traditional bow hunters 
And uh, hunting with Chris has made me a better shot. I, I'm not going to win any tournaments, but my confidence level has has picked way up simply because he's he's probably the best shooter I've ever seen in real life. And uh, I've seen him I've seen him make forty and fifty yard shots at targets sure. that were that were unbelievable. I saw him shoot a squirrel one time over sixty yards, <laughs> and uh, and hit him and kill him. But uh, he's a uh, He's probably the most consistent shooter I've ever seen, but I changed my entire shooting style due to seeing the way he shoots. And uh, by no means I can't shoot that well, but I know that that I have, uh, you know, when you first start traditional bow hunting, maybe bow hunting altogether, I don't know about the compound part, but you get a deer close enough to you and there's always, a, you know, the jitters of I'm a, am I going to make this shot, especially when I shot in fully instinctive. But now I shoot three under and uh, I don't, I don't really gap shoot as far as I guess yardage, but I know where my point is at subconsciously, I guess, but I see it in your peripheral vision, but, but knowing it's lined up, hitting him never even comes to my mind. I know I'm going to kill him if he gets in range. I have that confidence from just from shooting with him. And, uh, I really hate to say that out loud, to be honest with you, (laughs) 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 but, uh, but he's a he's a heck of a good shot and a good good hunting buddy. Yeah, I have not had the opportunity to hunt with him yet. But uh, as we were talking a little bit before we got started, I'm I'm hoping to correct that next year, um, and get to hunt with a lot of a lot of guys like you and Chris Spikes. I know you, we've shared a camp, but um, I know there's a lot of guys that come to another hunt that we'll probably talk about a little bit later that I'm I'm hoping to participate in next year. Um, we kind of jumped in there and just went off full tilt on uh hunts past and so forth so i want to back up a little bit because like i said i've i've known you for for quite some time and i know there's a lot of guys out here that that do know who you are uh rc but um and i guess i should ask you are you okay with me calling you rc or would you rather call me me call you robert or would you rather call you mr carter <laughs> i'm good no, with either rc will be fine <laughs> okay um so how long have you been how long have you been hunting for for uh, deer and hogs, or I guess, you know, pretty much being a, 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 an outdoorsman? Did it start when you were really young? I've I've hunted all my life that I can. I mean, you know, since I was old enough, my my family, my my father passed when I was ten, and I lived. Uh, we moved here to the South Georgia with my grandmother and uncles all around, and all of them hunted. They were no deer here then. I mean, it was it was rare if you saw a deer track, but uh, they were all uh, big quail hunters, dove hunters, duck hunters. My granddaddy was a squirrel hunter, and that's where I really started hunting was hunting squirrels. And uh, my uncle J. W. Orvin, he's had a huge impact on my life. He uh, he's a houndsman, and even now he's I think he's like eighty two maybe. I'll climb in the morning, or maybe not in the morning, but some mornings when I climb this funnel behind my house here, I'll hear him in running beagles down there, and uh, it just it brings a smile to my face because I know he's grinning hearing them run. But uh, that was that's been a long time. I've had a uh, ever since I can remember. I've I've loved been fascinated with bows and arrows. I mean, that's I remember building them when I was ten or twelve. You know, sticking a string, and I was fortunate to live in the country. And uh, I could walk all day long in any direction back then, and it was okay. There was no posted land. And even even as I got older and we began to have deer and I bow hunted, 
or, or you know, rifle hunted. I naturally started hunting with a actually a single barrel shotgun. I could, there was no posted land. I could walk all day long anywhere, and it was okay to hunt. And a, a cool story, I remember walking, I'd hunted all day, and uh was probably three miles from the house, and it was getting late, and I come walking down the dirt road. There's all dirt roads around here. I was walking down the dirt road home, and uh, Miss Beatrice, which was my great uncle's wife, she made me stop and unload my gun when I came by her house and go in there and eat. She wouldn't let me go home without feeding me. She said, there's no way I'm going <laughs> to let you go by my house without eating. So uh, anyway, that's that's how I was raised with the, the best people in the world. And, uh, and uh, you know, and I naturally, uh, being fascinated with bows, I eventually got a bow in my hand. And uh, off and on, I've been bow hunting 40, this is, I think this is like my 40th year, not bow only, but I've been bow hunting 40 years and I've been traditional only probably for 30, 25. I mean, I don't really don't know. I never thought that hard about it. Long time. I hunted with a compound probably three, I think three years. And the whole reason I did that, uh, they were having archery tournaments around here and I'd go up there with a stick bow and I looked like I was handicapped or something. They looked at me like I was a leper maybe. (laughs) <laughs> and so I, I I got a compound and uh actually went ended up being signed for Darton Archery and shot uh big tournaments and I won some pretty big pretty big tournaments. I got free bows from them. And the last bow I got, I quit. I told them I didn't want to do it no more and uh they sent me a bow anyway and I they didn't want it back, so I took it to Dan Quillians and traded it for a recurve and never shot it. <laughs> and, uh, so anyway, that's that was my I killed exactly 40 deer hunting in, in a couple states with a compound the, the few years. I think I hunted with it three and a half years. I hunted in Alabama some. You know, it's funny, I, and I guess it's because of, and I honestly don't know how old how old you are, RC, but I mean, it's a, it seems to be a common theme with with individuals that, that I've had on the show that uh, – somehow have a tie to, to Darton. That's because that's what I started with. And I've had several others that were the same way. Um, and, you know, listening to you talk, we grew up, we just grew up in a different time. And quite honestly, mm-hmm. you know, when I, when I, when I came up with the idea for traditional outdoors, the things that you were just talking about is really what I had in mind more than necessarily the weapon that I was talking about. Um, Cause a lot of, can you imagine something like that happening today of, you know, you're just walking up a, a dirt road with a shotgun and, and somebody inviting you into their house to, to feed you. I mean, it's just, but it wasn't anything unusual for, for us. And that was the same way for me. I've gone out and spent, I can't tell you how many miles I've walked and crossed fences and, and, and nobody cared mm-hmm. that you were, that you were hunting on their property. Um, in fact, most time they would invite you, you know, they would, they would ask you to. So just, just amazing different times. And I, and I don't know what year would, when you, you were talking about when you moved to, to South Georgia, what year would that have been roughly RC? Probably 68, 69, something like that. Okay. Cause I moved, um, I was actually born, um, in, in Greensboro, North Carolina, not Georgia, but Greensboro, North Carolina. And we moved out to the farm that I grew up on in uh, 70, 
70, uh, shoot, now I can't remember, 74, 75, something, somewhere around there. Um, and it was the same way. We didn't, didn't know, didn't, didn't know what a deer looked like. You never saw tracks. You never saw anything. And I can remember the first one I see looking out across a, a soybean field and couldn't figure, I thought it was a goat. <laughs> and, um, and then it was like, you know, within two years they were everywhere. Yeah. It's, so uh, I don't know if that was the same where, where you were at or not. It, it was, it was, I remember I was probably 12 and my granddaddy, uh, we we were going somewhere, and he had he had seen deer tracks at a place. My granddaddy had hunted out near the river, the Altamaha River. There were there were deer out there, but not over here on this side of the county. But he had seen some deer tracks on his land, and we rode down there and got out, and we were standing there staring at deer tracks like it was a block of gold or something. <laughs> and uh, it, it was pretty cool, you know. Yeah, I do, I do know because I I lived it myself. I think it was a few years. Sounds like it was probably a few years after, but um, same pretty much the same, the same scenario, but you've had a, um, you've had a pretty good season so far in 2018. Have you not? Yeah, I've, I've, uh, I've, I've been blessed. I've, uh, I'm fortunate with my work. I, I work a lot of hours, but it's in a few days and I usually get to hunt a couple, three days every week if I want to. And, uh, or if my wife lets me, <laughs> but, uh, I've, uh, early in the year, and my hog hunting is the luckiest I've ever seen. I, uh, first time I went pig hunting at the beginning of the year, it was still winter. I killed two at one time, big hogs. And then uh, I didn't go again for about a month, and I killed three in, in one morning, probably 10 minutes apart. So I killed five in two trips. And uh, and that really hurts because if I had just killed one, my wife would have let me go, but I done <laughs> killed five, and so she's giving me trouble about <laughs> keeping going. <laughs> but as uh but anyway, and then uh, I didn't. I've sort of, sort of lost my drive to hunt when it's a hundred degrees through the summer. And uh, as I get older, it just don't appeal to me as much. And uh, so I, I hadn't. I didn't hunt much at all through the summer. And uh, I usually go to Fort Stewart and hunt a lot over there during the summer. And I didn't go this year. And uh, when I picked up during bow season, got started again. I, I killed. Uh, I've killed eight deer so far this year. And uh, my wife had some a surgery here lately, and I've only climbed the last four times. I killed three deer, and uh, so I've been I've been pretty lucky right there. But she's uh she's home doing really good now, so I hope to finish the year out pretty strong. I'd really like to tag out. I've never tagged out. I've never killed twelve with my bow, and uh, I've killed eleven a couple times and and ten several times. But uh, I'd like to. That's sort of a. I'm not a. We we eat the meat. Nothing goes to waste. And uh, so, I mean, it's killing 12. That's sort of a, something I was after. And uh, I don't know. If I get the time. I think I can do it. Well, so a couple things there. We uh, And I've, I've, I haven't tagged out in many years. Never, never came close with traditional gear. But I will say last year, um, based on, and obviously it's not a sure thing unless you loose an arrow and, and put your hand on it. But uh, the number of the number of animals I passed on last year that were within fifteen yards um, that I could have taken, I mm-hmm. could have tagged out. But I'm the only one that I'm the only one that eats it in my house. So um, I do have some I do have some friends and and so forth that they hunt, but 
they either they're not successful or they just don't have a lot of time. So I have a standing agreement with several people. If I have more than I, than I need, you know, they're, they're happy to take it. So it, it definitely doesn't go to waste. And, um, and, and a couple of these families, you know, they have quite a few kids and it definitely helps them out. So, um, but you were talking about your, your, your wife and the hogs. So quick, funny story. I had some pretty good success this past weekend, and uh, I pulled into I pulled into camp, and I don't know if you know Jerry Russell or not, but I, I I have some property that I hunt with Jerry and his son Luke, and and I pulled into camp, and I was actually already dressing my 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 deer, and Jerry pulled in, and he said, "Well, said you got one, or are you gonna you gonna you know are you staying, or are you heading back home?" And and I said, "Well." So far, I haven't heard from my wife, so I'm planning on staying. And, you know, she never even brought it up. She used to bring it up. And now she just knows it's not going to do any good. If, I, <laughs> if I'm if planning to hunt the weekend, I'm going to hunt the weekend. So she doesn't even ask anymore. But uh, I know exactly what you're talking about. So so you've, you've, take, you've, taken, oh, yeah. you've taken eight this year. Um, um, I know at least one of them was a pretty good buck, wasn't it? Uh, he, was, he was okay. I, I probably should have let him go, but uh... – I'm not really a trophy hunter. I, I like to hunt deer, and uh, he's a legal deer, and and I knew that that my hunting time was limited right through there, and and heck, he was standing like eight yards. <laughs> that's, that's, there's a whole bunch of reasons to shoot him, so I shot him. Chris, uh, my buddy Chris had sent me some. Uh, he actually gave me some Simmons 135 grain broadheads, mm-hmm. and I shoot light poundage these days, and and. Uh, I was I was had intended on shooting anything that came by because I really wanted to see how that that light that light arrow set up. It was probably a 500 grain arrow, which is the lightest arrow I think I've ever hunted with, and uh, it shot through and it did its work. I hit him good. It did did what it was supposed to do. I heard him fall. And uh, but but I have uh, you know trail cameras make you realize how poor a hunter you are sometimes. <laughs> I used to hunt around here, and I thought I was doing pretty good, you know, and I'd kill a, a good rack buck every now and then, and now I've got these trail cameras, and I realize there's a whole bunch of rack bucks out there that I am, I'm not even seeing. <laughs> so so it's, uh, it's really gave me a drive to kill a good buck. And uh, I, got one, I got one close to figured out if I could get the wind on him, and, and uh, maybe we can marry up down there one day. That's actually where I'm headed in the morning. It's a... The wind here in South Georgia is, is pretty tricky. You can leave the house and the wind be coming out of the east. And before you get to your stand, it's going the opposite with no fronts or anything happening. But I've hunted this, these funnels I hunt down here by my house. I, I hunt food 90% of the time, feed trees. But during November, there's, there's three funnels that I've hunted for years behind my house in the swamp here. And I'll, uh, you know, I'll, I'll when I leave the house, I'll take the best wind for whatever funnel and go set it. And I set one uh, Friday morning, and the wind was perfect. And uh, the trail camera, I got a, a good eight-point coming through there. The wind was perfect, and right when the sun broke the trees, it drew the thermals that direction. And uh, and that's exactly when the buck come. He, uh, he came to the edge and snorted and ran off. And then less than 30 minutes later, the, the sun got up a little higher, and Mm-hmm. yeah yeah seems like sometimes sometimes they know and i i do want to get into the i do want to get into the tactics two things i'll i'll uh before we get into some of that 
you were talking about the trail cameras, um, and I run I run a good number of trail cameras, but I I mentioned that I uh, I hunt with Jerry and and his son on a piece of property. The the buck that I shot this past weekend uh, was on that piece of property that I hunt with Jerry and his son, and I ran eight cameras on I think what he has carved out we we've got it carved up so there's two little tracks that that i have to hunt on the north side and the south side and then he and luke kind of hunt the middle um i had eight cameras running the the whole year um on on by two little sections and i don't know how many jerry has but he's got a bunch of cameras out and nobody had a picture of the the buck that i shot this past weekend so that works both ways is what I guess I'm getting at. You may see a bunch and never see them, and then yeah, you may see yeah. one that you've never seen before. Yeah, this time of year, he could. Uh, there's no telling what will come through there. Exactly. And as the, But I have noticed that, that as it the rut, rut dies down, it gets a little colder, then you start seeing the same deer that you saw in early, even when they were still in velvet. I guess it's maybe their home range or whatever, you know, they, they headed back in. If, if you can find their food source. Oh, yeah, yeah. I hope that's the case because I had a Pope and Young back here behind the house at that time. Well, I definitely, I definitely wish you all the luck in the world to to get him. Um, last question for we because I do want to get into some of these tactics. Um, the The last question I had was on the the eight that you've taken this year. What would what would you say the average yardage was on the shots that you've taken? It's eleven yards. Yeah, I, I knew it was under fifteen, but I had to ask. So eleven yards is the yeah. average. Yeah, I, I've. I really, I really couldn't tell you how many deer I've killed with a bow. I, I think me and Chris were talking about it, and we we pulled it. Uh, you know, I got a bunch of pictures and even old Kodak. You know, where it prints it out in like a minute. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but uh, it was somewhere, somewhere uh, four years ago was around 160 ish, and uh, no, 100 around 130, and then 40 with the compound. But uh, I do know that the last three years, well, this year being four years, I've killed 39. And my average shot, and I keep up with shot distance. My average shot was twelve, and the last ones I've killed brought it down to about eleven, little over eleven yards. That's impressive. I would say, um, I, and I, I would have to go back and look. I, I only started journaling all of my shots a few years ago. Um, I would say the bulk of mine is is under fifteen. Um, but every now and then I'll have one like the, the, the buck from this past week when, if I could have managed to move enough to get a shot off, I could have shot him at five yards, but I couldn't, I had to wait. Mm -hmm. And by the time I was able to get the shot off, it was, I think I stepped it off at 17 yards from the base of the tree. Um, uh, adrenaline got a little bit of the best of me. Um, that's a little bit further than I like to shoot, (laughs) but I sat there and watched the arrow disappear exactly where I was looking. So that felt good, but it kind of made me realize that I let my, I let my emotions get the best of me a little bit too, but, uh, that's going to, that's going to happen. If, if that stops happening to me, I probably need to stay out of the woods. Oh yeah. <laughs> so. Yep. I've, I've, uh, I, I, I really set up for the close shots and I've let a lot of deer go that, that were 20 ish yards and, and uh, we can walk around and shoot, three d's and and i'm pretty consistent at 30 yards like i said i'm no chris bikes but i could hit them through the ribs at 30 yards but there's just so much can happen i would rather let him go and come back and hunt him tomorrow as opposed to make a bad shot and crawl around on my knees all night trying to find him looking for blood 
Yeah, there's a lot of people that seem to uh, seem to ignore or or lose sight of the fact that it's not about your accuracy. I can I can no. I could hit I can hit 3D targets at, at 30 yards all day long, but that 3D target's not going to duck. It's not going to move. It's not going to you know take a, a deep breath. I mean, there's just so many things that. And if I make a bad shot on that 3D target, no harm, no foul. You know. Right. Uh, mm-hmm. But anyway, don't want to don't want to go down to negatives. We're having a great discussion here, so we'll stay away from that. Um, <laughs> there you go. So yeah. I I do really and and you and I have talked on the phone about this a little bit of time, and I'm gonna give you fair warning before we jump into some of this. I'm I'm probably going to ask you some pretty tedious questions, um, because I'm a and you mentioned that you've got some funnels behind your house that you hunt, and I would say. 95% of my tactic is around funnels. Now, you know, funnels could be anything from traveling to and from uh, feeding and bedding and, you know, knowing a, a pinch point, or it could just be a natural travel corridor that I know the animals are going to use through the course of the day. And it, it skinnies up my, my window of opportunity to keep them inside that, that 20 yard zone. Um, but even after talking to you on the phone a little bit this year, I actually have have tried and been semi-successful at, at zoning in on feed trees, key feed sources that are hot for a, and you can probably tell me more within, with some uh, accuracy, you know, how long that window is. But I've never really done that until this year, and I have taken uh, one doe and could have taken a, a, a pretty – decent spike uh setting up on a, a a tree that showed a lot of sign of, of feeding so i know that's a big a big way that you approach um the majority of your deer season so you know i guess start with that and just kind of for the listeners how do you approach locating food sources and give us a little bit of background into your tactic then i'll dive in with some of my nitpicking questions Okay, well, I, I, I'm fortunate that, uh, like I said, I have a really small tract of private land behind my house, and basically no feed back there. There's some uh, some good water oak trees this year; they were bust. But uh, I hunt management areas, and I'm fortunate to have thousands upon thousands of acres of prime management areas within 20 minutes of the house in either direction, pretty much. But uh, I already know where where more persimmons and or you know where feed trees are at then i can actually hunt simply because i've hunted them for so long but but i'll give an example we recently got a added on part to a, a new management area here flat to wma it's been there a couple of years so uh what i do i go during the winter and you know there's always a bonus that you may kill a pig while you're out looking and i try to find every persimmon tree on the place and it's, walking's good exercise. I'll pick out a block. I'll note the, where the swamp chestnuts are at. White oaks, white oaks don't really have a big draw down here. They, they seldom make, and uh, a, a, a good white oak will drop out pretty quick. And if there's hogs there, they'll clean it up. It's not like hunting a place where there's no hogs and the acorns will stay on the ground for a while. But uh, I, And I'll look for water oaks. I'll actually walk under the trees. You'll look. I've killed more animals on water oak trees than any other kind of tree. But I'll, 
I'll, I'll locate these trees. I'll know where they're at and, and, and note the ones that show good feed sign under them, even though it's, you know, months old. And then in August, when it's time to, to go pig hunting again and, and scout a little bit for both, both season, I mainly focus on the persimmons. I go check every persimmon with binoculars, see uh, which ones have a lot of fruit. And when I say persimmon, there's two kind of persimmons down here. You got the ones that grow on a fence row up on the hill there, mm-hmm. and uh, they'll drop their persimmons late. Then you have, and they're kind of a bushy type tree. But you got the ones in the swamp, they sometimes be big around as a light pole, and they'll grow tall as the big oaks that's in there with them. And they'll drop, I've actually seen some of them drop out before the first week of both seasons over, but they'll drop the first two or, th- you know, you'll get a, a week or two, maybe three weeks of good hunting out of them during both season. And uh, what makes that so sweet is there's usually no acorns dropping at that time down here. I know your white oaks in the mountains drop early, but down here they don't. They drop mid to late October down here. Right. So I key in on persimmons for my early season hunting. Uh, I find the ones that's got a lot of fruit, and then uh, I come back to them when it's time to hunt and check, you know, I can go in a block in the swamp, spend one afternoon and check every persimmon in it. And, uh, then I'll have two weeks, two weeks worth of hunting planned out just from that, usually. And, uh, when I, a persimmon tree, you want to look at it, it's got to have a lot of limbs and hold a lot of fruit because that's what you're hunting is a habit, a, a habit that the deer have coming back to it. If it's, uh, no matter how big a trunk is, if it don't have many limbs in it, don't hold enough fruit, well, I mark it off the list. And I'll end up with some, uh, with several trees, and then I, I want to lean toward the ones that's closest to thick cover. And uh, also, I don't I don't like to hunt really close to the river because the thermals change too much there. So you know, and I don't like to hunt close to the bluff side of the swamp, where you know there's a ele- big, a pretty pretty steep elevation change because the wind will mess you up right there at a the pool there. I'd rather be out in the middle of a flat swamp with a good persimmon and thick cover, and that's that's when I'm confident. So, and, and I know I've, I've watched both you and, and Chris Spikes as well as a lot of other people that have, that have, have hunted those persimmons. And we, we have some persimmons up here in North Georgia, which I know you already know. Um, but n- I don't know, I don't know that I've ever found a persimmon in North Georgia, a tree like you're talking about it, that, that has that kind of fruit. Most of the time they're, they're small and, I'm sure they exist. I just, I haven't run a, run across one. Um, I know that you actually did some hunting up here for, uh, I think you were hunting mostly for, for bear, but if you go into, um, if you go into a, a new spot that you've never hunted and let's just say it's, it's not swamp and you don't have the, the, the persimmon to rely on as heavily, uh, obviously some of that's regional. We have chestnut oaks here in the mountains and nothing to eat it. The hogs won't even eat those acorns. Um, hmm. But it's, let's say that you were going out and, and you were looking at a, a new piece of new piece of property, public, private, doesn't matter. How do you go about breaking it down? Let's say if you had, I don't know, uh, Dawson Forest is 25,000 acres, I think. How would you go about finding a or selecting a specific piece of property that you're going to get out and start scouting? And then, you know, what are you looking for to to zone in on that one tree? Well, I, I like to hunt thicker cover 
or something close to an old clear cut, something like that. Mm-hmm. And I don't like to hunt near the edge of the, the property line because a lot of guys on private land, they'll bait, which, I mean, it's legal, nothing wrong with it, but I, corn, corn changes behavior in the deer and I want to be far away, far enough away from the landline that the deer I'm hunting are behaving natural. That means they not nocturnal. And, uh, and, and it's basically burning boot leather. You got, first you got to find in the area you're hunting what they like to eat. When I went up to the, to the mountains up there, you know, everybody tells me, I, I'm asking, you know, that's what you do. Everybody tells me that white oaks are what you want to find. So you burn boot leather and look for white oaks. And, uh, if it happened to be some dropping, you'll, you know, if, if you, if nothing comes easy in the woods, you got to find them. And, uh, and I'll look for that. I also like to, like I said, I like to hunt funnels. I'll look at the terrain and uh, you guys hunting the, uh, the elevations and saddles and all this sort of thing. That's new to me. So I'm by far, I'm, I'm a beginner. You at don't that. have any of those in the swamp, do you? Oh, no, no. <laughs> and, uh, but, but I, I mean, you know, it's just common sense things. If you'll notice when you're walking, say, if you were going to walk from point A to point B and you're going through there without even thinking you're going to go the easiest way. I mean, what I'm thinking about it, you'll, you'll just go that way. And 90% of the time I've noticed this when you're doing that through the woods, if you'll look down, there's deer tracks because the deer is going the easiest way too. And, and, uh, I know it sounds crazy, but it's, it's true. And, and I do know that there's always, usually always some good travel areas running parallel with a stream or a river, something like that. There's always good, good travel areas in and out of clear cuts. And, uh, so if you got a, Say a drain near a, a thick growth over clear cut, then that's you know that's two points for me to go in there and look look in there you know and I that, that's that's basically what I would do down here in the south about down here in the south on a new tract of land it always starts looking for persimmons early I try to do my scouting early and find persimmons look for water oaks if I can't go into a place until say after persimmon drop I, I'll look. You know, in just a short amount of time, you can figure out what they're eating, and then you just find a hot tree. And uh, I will never climb a tree unless I, I know I'm going to kill a deer on it. And and naturally, you don't ever, you know, it don't happen like that. But that's the kind of confidence I got to have before I climb a tree. I walk till dark, come back in the morning, and walk the next day. But when I go up a tree, I expect to kill something. And uh, I mean, because I think it's a waste of time sitting in a place that you're not sure of. And, and I would agree with you. It makes perfect sense. Um, I, I would, and I would be the first to say, I don't think I have the, uh, I don't think I have the success ratio that you do with choosing that, that perfect tree, but I, I, I agree with you. Um, I go into, every time I go into a tree, I have full confidence. I'm going to see an animal. I don't necessarily say I have the confidence mm-hmm. I'm going to get a shot at an animal, but, um, do, so and maybe let's talk about it from a, a, a flatland perspective. Um, do you ever do anything like um, if you were doing, you know, uh, out of season scouting other than the persimmons? I mean, are you are you doing any kind of like grid patterning or anything like that to really uh, get some kind of inventory of what kind of feed trees you have in the area? Or are you just roaming and and stumbling across them as you go? It. it- it, it usually, uh, revolves around where the pigs are at at that time. Anyway, I walk in, I'm hunting pigs and, and, uh, and taking notes as I go, you know, 
And uh, that's, but I, I'll go into a the the best way to to really be good at hunting a particular area is know it. And so uh, I remember the very first year I hunted Horse Creek, I picked a block. It was before GPSs, and they had clear cut the boundary line down there. And so I picked that block. So if I got lost, I could always run a run a, a west bearing and hit the landline and come out. But uh, anyway, I learned. I mean, you could drop me down in a parachute in the middle of that block right now with my flashlight, and within minutes I'll know where I'm at, simply because I covered it and I know where all the feed trees are at. I know where the critter's bed at, and uh, you know, and and I've sort of a block at the time until I feel pretty comfortable hunting over there, and and that's what I would suggest anybody do that's hunting public land. Quit roaming all over the place and just climbing trees. Get out there and spend some time on foot. It's fun, healthy, and you might kill a pig while you're doing it. But, uh, you know, and the deer leave plenty of sign. You can see a paw mark past turkey season. You can still see all the old paw marks and scrapes. And there's a reason why deer are putting that stuff there. It's because they're going somewhere by that area. And uh, you just start piecing all that together. So and I'm going to try to – I've got I got so many thoughts going through my, my head here, RC, things I want to circle back to you on. Um, you you So – Getting to know a piece of 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 property is kind of, and you kind of said that it's not just roaming and saying, you know, well, I know this like the back of my hand. I'm getting out. You really got to be, you've got to be paying attention to what you're seeing. It's not about just walking through the woods and and saying you've you've looked it over. Um, Mm -hmm. How how do you? And you mentioned taking notes. I mean, do you keep a journal of all this? Do you do you use that with a GPS or? You know, is it, is it, you know, you know, you feel like you know these areas so well you don't have to, or is that a, it depends kind of thing? It's kind of crazy, but I remember, I, I, I just, re- I remember where things are at. That's, uh, I, I sell uh, my GP, I carry a GPS and usually I'm too proud to use it. <laughs> I'll, uh, I, I have in the dark trailing deer before, you know, you can get twisted around and I'll finally have to break down and pull it out and find the truck, but. But most of the time, I, I I just use it just to get me home, and that's about it. I don't want to go off topic too much here, but I remember a story you told. Did you have a GPS when you had that incident with the the flashlights? No. <laughs> what, uh, I had a compass. You, I had a. Do compass. you remember what I'm talking about? And, uh, oh yeah, yeah. That's I had uh, I had one flashlight at that time, and now I carry flashlights. <laughs> Yeah, I was I was a uh, uh, I was one mile in the swamp probably because after I got a GPS and started using it, I checked it one time. I was a mile in the swamp, <laughs> and I was sitting on a I was sitting on a fine swamp chestnut, and I had saw uh, two days before that I'd killed a hog on foot when I was had my climber on my back and saw a huge buck, and he run a doe right by me, and if I could have got him to stop, I would have shot him, but it, it, he wasn't stopping for nothing. But anyway, long story short, I climbed a tree right there. And I had a bunch of deer come under me right at dark, and I didn't want to spook them, so I sat there, and it got black, black dark. And then when it got time to get down, I dropped my flashlight. I was like 20 feet up in a tree or ever how, how I was, and uh, it exploded when it hit the ground. Yeah, I just cringed, too. And so I get down and have my pack, and I always, I even carry, I carry a compass now, always, and uh so I came out of a, a mile deep in the swamp, cypress knees. I had to wade two sloughs with a flashlight and a compass. And uh, it was, I was, I was, 
I was bruised up and muddy when I made it to the truck. Did do I remember something about you ended up using the light off your flat your cell phone screen? No, I was I'd use the a cigarette lighter. A, oh, I, cigarette I, lighter. I carry a lighter with me. Yeah, I carry a lighter and uh, <laughs> my compass there. <laughs> and it was a it, it taught me a lesson. Flashlights don't weigh very much, and you can pack quite a few of them. <laughs> and and another thing, I I hunt deep in the swamp. And uh, and that's just what I enjoy doing. You don't have to go that far to kill animals, but I enjoy getting away. And and you know, and when you walk into a place and you get the feeling that you're the first person that's ever been there, of course that's not true, but that's the kind of places I like to go. And um, if I say I shoot a deer, the last thing I want to do is go back to the truck and get stuff and come back. So mm-hmm. I carry everything I need with me, and and uh, who knows, you may end up trailing a little while. So and you'll burn a flashlight out quick trailing, you know. And uh, I bone my animals out in the swamp, so I, I carry a, you know, I carry. I usually carry three flashlights plus one that goes on my head. I'll go ahead and tell you now. I, I still cringe thinking about them cypress knees and my shins and all that from the <laughs> the cigarette lighter deal. So if I can help it, that's not gonna happen again. <laughs> well well and, and that tale that tale was told down at the camp in in Okmogee is what I remember that from and and there was another one that you told that we are still and we won't even get into that one but the the story about the snake and the guy asking will it bite uh that is that is to this day still Nick myself Tom will be sitting around we'll we'll be talking about I mean, we've done it in South Carolina we've done it in Michigan that that will come up and somebody inadvertently will say will it bite and <laughs> I don't think it, those two have ever been so so humored by anything than that story but uh sorry the, the to, guy sorry was to serious <laughs> hey, he he was not joking he was serious <laughs> hey well, so get this thing back on track here. Um, <laughs> so you you mentioned uh, I'm having a hard time thinking now because now I've got these stories that I sat there and listened around that campfire. That was man, that was the hunting was horrible, but that was a really great camp that year. Um, so you mentioned you know being able to see um, you know where where deer have made scrapes and obviously rubs those kind of things stand out. But what about I was going to ask you if, you know, these, these heavily used feed trees and, uh, you know, I've seen a few, so I know what you're, what you're talking about. Jerry, uh, Russell tracked a buck for me, uh, back in 2016, we were out in the middle of, of way back into North Georgia. We were back in the mountains and we came across a feed tree and it was like, even at, at night, with flashlights you just walked up on this and it was a big red oak and you just walked up on it and went holy cow i mean there were there was just droppings and you could see where the deer had fed i mean it was just unbelievable um and what i was going to ask you was let's say you because i'm a i love getting out and scouting in late january starting as soon as as our season closes january and february that's when I really love to do most of my scouting because the woods are open. You can see so far, but I've never thought about actually looking for feed sign from some of these trees from the previous September, October, November. Is that something that you feel is possible or does it get pretty much covered up with leaf litter and you, you really can't see it anymore? Uh, you, you can tell it. 
You can tell it. You can. Uh, I actually uh, during turkey season, I found a water oak uh, this past year that had been completely wore out the year before, and and our water oaks were a bust. Or had they been? Had we had some this year, I'd have definitely went back and checked that tree. But it it you know when when it's when it, at that time when it's hot, it looks like you you've uh, drug hairs around it sometimes, especially if you have hogs, and that that kind of sign of show. And one thing on persimmons, you know, not every persimmon, there's male and female, and not every one of them make persimmons. But when you find some right. persimmons, even in the off season, if you got pigs in the area, look around because if that persimmon dropped and there's pigs in the area, somewhere around there, there'll be rubs on trees where they, they you know, they spend a lot of time there. And, uh, mm-hmm. and that, I mean, I've actually sat on at, at Big Hammock WMA. I was sitting a persimmon one time and heard one fall, and you, it, it, it's flat. It made a sound, and a pig came running. And he, he had he had he had uh, he was laid up over there somewhere, and, and me climbing a tree didn't bother him. But when he heard that persimmon hit the ground, he come out a run. So my point is, they spent a lot of time around those trees, and uh, because a persimmon is not like an oak. It, was that his? Was that his last persimmon? Oh, he didn't make it, and. Uh, <laughs> I'm sorry, go ahead. <laughs> but uh, an oak tree, you know, the acorns will, will drop for, it depends on what kind of oak tree, but they'll drop for a period of days, you know, and, and as well a, per, a persimmon will. But an oak tree will have enough acorns on the ground that an animal will come in there and spend time there. But a, a deer will come into it, or a hog will come into a persimmon, and they may be four on the ground. They pick, they make a loop around that tree, and then they're gone. And... uh you can go into the mm-hmm. swamp, and if it's a really good persimmon year, like this year was the best I've ever seen, it'll look like cow trails going from one persimmon to the next. And, uh, I mean, when you, when, if you're hunting down here and you come to a persimmon tree and there's 20 on the ground, it, it's probably not, not, not much coming to it. If, if you come in there and there's uh, you see a bunch of seeds everywhere and maybe three persimmons, and uh, there's, there's something coming. So... Let's. I'm gonna throw a scenario out and just you. You know, kind of walk me through how how you would approach it because you know I've actually seen that this year um, in in some different ways. Here in the the areas that I hunt in North Georgia, we had no white oak acorns. There were white or uh, the 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 white oaks had acorns early in the year, or or a lot of them did, and then I don't know what happened to them. They just they were gone. I don't know if they. I assume they just shed them early for some reason, but um, I did find a one WMA up in Banks County that had a, a lot of white oaks that were producing, but nothing that I really hunt a lot did. Um, so, you know, the, the one tree that I actually found um, and shot that doe on and had the spike on was a, a, a blackjack oak, which a lot of people don't even know what they are, but um, this one piece of property that, that I hunt's covered up with these blackjack oaks and, and several of them were dropping real heavy and the deer were just eating them up. But like in, in the property, uh, the area I hunt in middle Georgia, white oaks producing everywhere, red oaks producing everywhere, red oaks as big as, bigger than my thumb, um, white oak acorns everywhere. You know, how, how do you, in, in situations like that, uh, other than just the boot leather, is there, you know, do you have any tips on how to actually go and find the tree when it's just a smorgasbord of food? How, you know, uh, I guess, do you just start looking at ones near thick cover? I, I try to, I try to picture in my mind where, where the deer are at right now, you know, their bed, where they're laying. And, uh, 
and think about the wind. You know, a lot of people will climb with a perfect wind. You know, you got a thicket and in a tree and they want the wind blowing perfectly away from the thicket. I, I, I don't believe a deer, especially a mature deer walks around with the wind blowing in his back all day long. You know what I mean? He, I think you're better off to hunt a crosswind. You know, if that makes any sense, what I'm mm-hmm. saying. And, uh, and, and, but I, I look for something thick that narrows it down for me pretty much thick. If the deer are coming out, you know, late evening to feed, the further you are away from their, they're bedding area, you know, it's going to, you're going to think you're hunting nocturnal deer because it takes them that long to get there when they've actually been out for hours just closer to where they lay. And, uh, that's why in the swamp hunting, hunting right. in the swamp, I like to hunt close to cane thickets. You, you know, when I say close three or 400 yards away from them, I like to hunt the first persimmon or the first feed tree to them. But make no mistake, when I'm walking through the swamp and I see a tree that's tore up, I mean, it's just wore out. I'm gonna climb it no, no matter what, and and I don't. I'm not a guy that'll wear a tree out. I'll, I'll go in and and climb it. The first time I set a tree is in the evening. I'll go in, climb on it this evening, leave my stand, come back in the morning. If I don't see nothing, I go somewhere else, and I seldom come back to that tree. I, I've had some trees that just showed so much sign that I, I knew I needed to set them again. But most of the time, they get an evening and a morning, and I'm gone. Which is something that I started doing this year. Uh, I've tried not to hunt the same tree, even if it's on a you know travel corridor or on a funnel. I'll hunt it once. I won't come back for three weeks if I come back at all. Um, but when you're out, um, if you go out and you're 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 scouting as you're as you're hunting, so you're you're looking for that that hot feed tree. Do you do you worry much about? Um, the scent that you're leaving while you're locating that that tree or is it just kind of like an afterthought i do not i wear i, I wear rubber boots and I, I wash my clothes i'm pretty scent conscious i wash my clothes in baking soda and um you know you don't want to go out there and pump gas with your rubber boots on and stuff like that but uh i wear rubber boots and i i try my best not to touch any i don't go wading out bogging mm-hmm. through bushes uh in our the the floodplain I hunt the swamps down here you can walk around and almost not touch anything they they're fairly open they'll be you know it's thick stuff but you can get around without it and uh, also you know if I you can walk when I walk up to a tree and if it's hot enough for me to climb I can see it before I get under it and I, I'll walk to that when I'm I see the trunk of a say a water oak I'm going to go check when I get right there in the in the, the crown of the tree on the side of my own, I start looking and if I hit some sign right there, then I start looking for a tree to climb and I don't, I don't spend no time under the tree. Okay. That, and that, that makes sense. I, and I think sometimes I probably overcomplicate things. I've gotten, uh, I've gotten so sick of the, the marketing and the hunting industry around the scent elimination, which is just a fallacy to begin with, but I still do try to practice scent control. Um, I don't, I don't wear leather boots, um, or excuse me, I don't wear rubber boots as much as I used to. I'm kind of mixing it up a little bit this year and I'm wearing leather and, and, um, still keeping up. I've got boots that I keep separate just for hunting. They don't do anything else. As soon as I get back to my car, I take them off. So I'm not picking up a lot of foreign odors in them, but I, I must admit, I do, I, I probably let that stop me from doing a lot of, uh, scouting 
you know, putting boots on the ground during season till I find the tree that I want to hunt. Um, and I've just got to get my head out of that and, and, and get in there and do it. And the only way you, I think the only way you can be successful in any of this stuff is just get in there and try it and you're going to make mistakes. So oh, yeah. that's a lot of the reason why personally I'm picking your brain on some of this stuff. Cause you know, I, I guess I've tried it I, and I've, I've, I've been successful, but I know full good and well, I'm nowhere near as successful as I've seen, you know, folks like you and, and, and spikes and, and, and Womack. I know he, he pretty much, and I was going to ask you, so, um, you know, I know, you know, Mr. Womack pretty well from, from the, the horse Creek hunts and so forth, but, you know, were you hunting this way before you met him or did he influence you in somehow, or did you have somebody else that influenced you on, on learning this, this style of, of locating the, locating the, the food on, on public ground where you don't have agriculture and those kind of things? I was, I've, I've hunted like this. I, I was fortunate enough to, to hunt with probably the best woodsman alive, uh, John Buckhart. He, uh, he's from Snipesville, not far from home here, but he's hunted the same management areas that I hunt. And I was able to hunt with him and, and he's, uh, he's old school and he, he, he hunts food. And I, I've, I was, it's a blessing. He made me a better man, not only as a hunter, but he's just a really good guy. And I, I learned, uh, a lot about hunting the swamps from him. I mean, it's, it's really common sense. It's, he, yeah, it's, it's, uh, it's, it's like, I remember we were talking about hogs one time. It's, it's like you, you had a tame hog and he got out and you got to go find him. And, and that's his, it, we would go to the woods and, you know, go hunting and, and he uses a common sense approach. It works. And it's, it's, it's a blessing for me to be able to hunt with, with John. He's, uh, I know one year he was probably, 65 ish maybe he killed 22 hogs in one year wow on public land with a longbow a 45 pound longbow and on foot all of them on foot and uh, he's a, a heck of a hunter but he 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 taught me more in in one year hunting with him than i learned all the years growing up and uh and it's things like when you you know, he shows you something that's like, yeah, it makes a lot of sense. I'm stupid for not doing that, you know, before. <laughs> it's so obvious, you know. <laughs> but uh, he's, he's, he's pretty good. I've, I've seen him. He's a heck of a shot. He, uh, he shot instinctive. He, people frown on it, but, but I've seen him shoot deer running. I've seen him. Uh, I had a hog one time going by, and we had got on some hogs together. And I was waiting on the hogs to shoot, to, to stop so I could shoot him. And I saw, uh, feathers go through him <laughs> while he was still running. And, uh, John looks at me and says, you got to shoot, son. <laughs> but it's, <laughs> it's, it's, it's fun. We, we had a good time. John, uh, I, I saw him a while back. He, he hunts with a pistol a little bit now and uh, he had some shoulder and neck problems and quit shooting his longbow. But, uh, it, it, but it's, I've talked about this before with other people. It's amazing. When I met Mr. Womack, John and Mr. Womack, even down to packing the animals out, they hunt exactly the same. Really? Yes. And, and both good men, good humble men. And, uh, this is a blessing to be able to hunt with, with him. And, and even hunting with Chris. Chris is a heck of a woodsman. And, uh, and the thing about there's very few people uh, go as far and as deep as we go in the swamp. And, uh, and it's, Chris will do that. If I'm two miles in the swamp, Chris and I are at Horse Creek, and I say, hey, I just shot one. I need your help. Well, he'll be there pretty quick. And, uh, it's, uh, you know, you know yourself, 
hunting partners like that are few to few to come by. They they truly are. In some ways, as much as I don't mind meeting other hunters and talking to other hunters, I want to do it at the truck, not in the woods. Um, if if I mm-hmm. run into another hunter, I'm I'm a bit frustrated in myself because a lot of times I'm looking at, even if it's on a new track of land, I look at it from a perspective. Okay, first of all where do I think I would have a good chance of finding animals? And then I go, where's the best chance that I'm not, that nobody else is going to go in there, that I'm going to be by myself. And that's how I start narrowing spots mm-hmm. down because I I don't like being around people. And I've had some, I've had some tracks on, on public land where I, you know, go back middle of the night, give an animal, you know, time and, and, and I'm sure it's just probably even more so down in, in the area that you're at, but you know, you get back in those, in those North Georgia mountains, two, two and a half, three miles, you turn the light on, man, it off. It's dark. I mean, you, <laughs> you, unless it's a full moon, you can't see your hand in front of your face. I mean, it's pitch black dark and it, it drives yes. my wife crazy because I'll tell her, you know, if, if I feel like I need to wait or, you know, if we need to wait on that animal a little longer, I'll stretch out on the ground, take a nap. It doesn't bother me a bit. It, it worries her to death, but she's mm-hmm. gotten better because over the years she's had to, cause I'm, she knows I'm going to do it, but, um, I'm much mm-hmm. more comfortable doing that than I am going downtown Atlanta. I'm a nervous wreck. <laughs> I just... Oh man. I don't know. I was there a few weeks ago with my wife's surgery, and I can tell you, I don't see how anybody could choose to live in that. Yep, be that's uh, the good Lord knew I was getting disgusted because a, a hawk flew, and I took a picture of him right over my head. I saw that, and I said, "Well, there is some wildlife up here." Yeah, and uh, but I, that's uh, you know, I guess if you're raised in that, but but there's there's not enough money in the world to make me go up there. And I, I'm perfectly content with walking from home. I, I'm blessed. I'm blessed to hunt here at my house where I live right now. I have walked from home and killed deer, turkeys, and hogs with a longbow. And I actually killed a turkey one time. My wife and I bought groceries. We pulled, It's like 10 o'clock. And we pulled up. I was getting groceries out of the car. And she said, I just heard a turkey gobble. I said, you lost your mind. <laughs> she says, yeah, I just heard a turkey gobble down there. I don't, it's, the only time I tagged out on turkeys, I killed three that year. But I'd already killed two, and I'd hunted several times and hadn't heard any more gobbling. I thought it was about done. And uh, that's why I was arguing with her about, no, you didn't hear one. And she says, yes, I did. So we got the groceries in, and I grabbed my bow, and I'll, I'll just go walking with my judo and shoot. I didn't go probably 20 yards from the house, and I heard him gobble. I run back in the house. I had a bl- I had two blinds set up. And I went back in the house, got my bow, and a, a call that Joey Buchanan had made for me. And I, I ran down there and got in the blind. It was it was took a while because he 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 didn't want to come, but uh, I finally got, got killed my third gobbler of the year right there. And uh, when I got home, I had to listen to all kind of crap from my wife about, <laughs> oh, "I told you so," blah blah blah. <laughs> but uh, but I. But it was uh, I killed him. I had on blue jeans and a flannel shirt, but I was in a, a one of those pop up blinds. But anyway, that was, that was a pretty cool deal. I, I'm blessed to be able to hunt from home last. Like I said, uh, Lord willing, I'm going hunting in the morning, and I'll uh, I'll walk from home. It's probably probably close to a half a mile, and I have to wade. A, a good, there's a lot of water down here right now. I have to wade some stuff. I'm hunting an island, a funnel, mm-hmm. and I will be just completely flabbergasted if I don't see a deer. And I, I expect, like I said, if I, if I if I get up and walk that far, I expect to kill one. Well, I I definitely wish you all the all the best in the morning. Um, I I would I would like to be out there in the morning, but 
my wife is is she's she's really good and she she's really understanding even though she's not a hunter she's not an outdoors person i won't say she gets it because she still doesn't you know what, what i would say get it why why i love it so much but she knows i she knows i do and she does a lot of things that frees up a lot of my time so holidays and birthdays she gets um but i i do wish you the best of luck out there tomorrow and i'll be watching facebook for a, for a picture um one i was sitting here looking over my my notes while we were chatting rc and i i do have one more question around the, the the scouting and feeding and and i know part of this equation but i'm gonna let you walk through the the full answer um because part of this equation i don't necessarily know and i'm anxious to hear your thoughts but when you're when you're inspecting these whether it's oaks i guess let's focus on oaks because i think that's what a lot more people focus on uh, as a food source rather than when they're uh, persimmons, but you can go into any of them that you want to, but how do you discern whether it's um, whitetails feeding versus squirrels feeding versus hogs or even other animals like, you know, raccoons or um, possums, armadillos, whatever that may be. Cause I actually sat over a tree a couple of weeks ago and watched a family of, of raccoons just absolutely annihilating uh, the acorns that were under that tree. So how do you, how do you determine that it's, that it's whitetails, I guess, over anything else? From droppings, deer droppings. Yeah. I, I won't climb a tree that don't have deer droppings under it. It's got to be deer droppings. And, and, you know, I, I hope it's hogs too, because <laughs> uh, I, I'm a, I shoot either one, but, but I, I, when I walk up to a tree, naturally you look for the leaves and the ground tore up. And mm-hmm. like you said, it could be anything doing that. But, but if, like I said, if a deer coming to a, an oak tree, there's there's usually enough acorns on the ground. They'll spend time under the tree, and there'll be some droppings there if they they're spending enough time under it for me to hunt it. And uh, usually, if, I, if I've got if, if I've got to do much walking around that tree to to make it to sell it for me to hunt it, then I probably don't need to hunt it. When when I I walk up to a tree to climb, I usually it's usually it just, it just jumps out at you. We need to get up this tree. Me and Chris can be scouting, and we've done it this year. We can be scouting and come to a tree and, you know, like the one he killed a deer under one at Horse Creek. We walked up to it. He looked at me. He said, there'll be a kill here. I mean, and you know that just within a minute. And uh, then we have to wrestle over whose spot it is. And I think he won that time. <laughs> but <laughs> What are you boys doing down there in the swamps? I used to. I used to <laughs> when I. When I first started hunting with him, I would like, you know, I would try to lose him. Like we would go scouting somewhere and I would make big loops. And so he couldn't find the hot spots, but he's got good enough now. He can go to them. <laughs> hey. Or either we'd walk up to a tree and I'd point the opposite direction. And I'd say, there's the truck is that away. <laughs> but uh, anyway, I, you know, as, as I said, having good partners is cool. We'll uh, like he'll go, you know, it's, it's not many people at all that I'll climb a spot that someone sends me to. And he'll he'll scout a place, I'll scout a place. And we I mean we'll say, hey, is uh and, and you know, if if you got hunting partners and you're greedy, you don't wanna you know, you don't wanna you don't wanna share the mm-hmm. spots and then you got the wrong hunting right. partner or either you're the wrong attitude one. Because uh, you know, I'm tickled to death if he shoots one at a place I sent him to and he is if he sends me to a place. I actually got a text on my phone, he sent me here the other day, told me he knew exactly where I could go kill one at. On the management area here, if I if uh if I had time to go, 
but my point is, you know, we we share information and uh you know, used to I would do all that walking myself. I'd cover the whole management area there before we hunted there in October. But now, you know, I got a, a guy I got confidence in and we, we both hunt and we'll share our notes and uh, we're able to cover more ground separated. There's, there's some more guys that I hunt with the same way, but it's not a lot of them. And that's one thing I think that, that helps us be successful is the amount of ground we cover and you got to eliminate a lot of bad spots. And then you, you find, you know, you find more trees than you can hunt and you share them. And it's pretty cool. That's a, I've killed a, I've killed a lot of deer that he's put me on, and uh, and other guys. John, I, I, it take three or four trucks to to haul the animals that John's put me on. So it's uh, you know, it's it's cool being able to share places like that on public land at that. Yeah, and I've I've got a I've got a couple of guys that I I I, I do that and feel that way about. So I definitely know what you feel. And it's they're they're a lot harder to find than than you would think. Um, in my opinion, anyway. Oh yeah. Do um, I told you I had that was the last question, and I well, sorry, one follow up. So, are, are you ever looking like you know you can tell when a squirrel's taking the the cap off of a of an acorn versus a a, a deer who's you know sitting there eating it and and shelling it out? But do you ever look at that, or are you really just focused on is there deer is there is there deer scat or hog scat, and that's it? It's got to be scat. You can look at the acorns and tell if they got teeth marks in them. Or uh, usually, uh, uh, acorns will be split in half. And uh, if it's mm-hmm. hogs there, the whole acorn will be chewed up. And a big chestnut acorn, a, a deer, it'll be you know you can tell. It's, it's you can tell it's not a squirrel doing it. But up there, like you right. said, our chestnuts are the they a big draw down here when they make. I mean, it's we don't we don't make a lot, but when they make, it's you kill some animals under them. Oh, our our chestnut oaks in the mountains when they have a crop, and I'm trying to remember it wasn't. It must have been last season. One of the areas that I really like to hunt, and I think you know Crispin Henry, right? Yes, I do. I like I know Crispin. I like Crispin. He's he's a pretty good guy. Yeah. So he actually, I carried him up there to one of these one of these tracks that I hunt, and um, the the way you access it, I use a a, a valley between two ridges going in because it keeps my scent down low and um headlamps and all that's kind of hidden and that's the way i always access it and last year the swamp the swamp the the chest and oaks dropped um acorns and these are big acorns i mean you could knock somebody out one of these things throwing them at them um but they were so thick on the ground it was actually hard to walk up the Mm -hmm. incline at the end of this valley because they would roll under your feet so bad um, and I actually went back up there um, in jan- late January, early February of this year to try to find some hogs, and all of them were still there. They, nothing had eaten these things. Hmm. Um, so yeah, nothing. Just this, the the chestnut oaks that we have, nothing, nothing eats them. Um, but I was going to ask you real quick because you, you mentioned. I think this was actually while we were recording, I know we talked a little bit before, so I'm, I can't remember exactly when you mentioned it, but you were talking about the, the deer numbers that you have down there is different than what, you know, we have up here where I hunt. Um, in your experience is that ability to walk up on a tree and say from a distance, yeah, I know it's, I know it's hogs. I know it's whitetails because of the amount of activity. Is that, due to the number of animals that you have, or do you think you can pretty much find that kind of activity in those kind of trees 
anywhere there are whitetails. I think I can tell, you know, what's what's on the tree, the you know, whether it's deer, hogs, or whatever. When when I was in the mountains this year bear hunting up there, I found some red oaks that uh and, and I wouldn't I was wanting to kill a bear and that was it. I was only able to stay a couple of days because of the hurricane. But uh I found I found a couple of red oaks I felt like I would I could have killed a deer on them or, or you know, had some action right there had I hunted them. And maybe I was thinking that the deer population was so few up there that that you know that this tree was better than it actually was. I don't know, but they they were three or four piles. Everything that I hunt for down here was under that tree, and I would have climbed it had it been down here. If that makes sense. And uh, yeah, it makes perfect sense. And, uh, but it's uh, it's the same thing. You walk and find what they're eating, and uh, you know they, you know, a deer's a creature of habit, and especially uh, I think the thicker the area, the the closer they stay in a core if that makes sense and then in wide open wide open areas they probably travel more i could be wrong but it's my experience in a thicker spot you'll see a lot of the same deer well it's funny you mentioned you mentioned that red oak because that's something that i'll be honest and i'll go and say it here you know but i don't i don't talk to a lot of people around here about oaks because I've noticed over the last few years, I've seen a lot more deer feeding activity around certain red oaks than I have white oaks, which goes against all of, you know, everything you ever hear and read. And I don't know if it's just like the, the, um, the, the blackjack oaks I was talking about, which is, a, it's in the red oak family. Um, and the, the deer just hammering those things this year. Um, and I've seen red oaks on, on other pieces of uh, public land that there are white oaks there the white oaks are dropping and the deer seem to be navigating to those red oaks I, mm. I i don't know why there's obviously something there going on that that i don't have a scientific reason for it but um they don't they don't just ignore the white oaks until late in the year like a lot of people think they do yeah well, i i think that we all think the white oak is supposed to be the biggest draw because it's what we've heard all our lives <laughs> I, I, mm-hmm. I like I told you, I, I don't kill a lot of deer on white oaks. I kill most of mine on on water oaks, and uh, our red oak drop lasts about two weeks. And uh, a, a red oak tree, a, a big red oak tree, don't have down here, don't have near the acorns that a big water oak tree will have. And uh, but a uh, a red oak will fall out really really fast. You can I can I'll scout. Usually I, I work Saturday, Sunday, and Monday long long hours, and I usually don't hunt. You know, I won't hunt Tuesday morning, but uh, I'll scout on Friday after lunch for my next week's hunt. And I found red oaks on Friday mm-hmm. afternoon that were on fire. When I come back to them Tuesday evening, they're dead. Wow. And I mean, just not that much sign on them. And then, then uh, you know, I just, but I know it's that time of year for the red oaks. So I just start walking and checking red oaks and usually get set up on something. And actually, Chris put me on a red oak uh, about three years ago. And I killed a doe on it that evening, and then I—I uh, I mean, it was on fire. Uh, two day, no, the next day. The next day, I came back to it, and uh, I just didn't didn't feel confident because of the amount of tra- foot traffic I had did in there and and getting the deer out and all. So I started walking, checking trees, and uh, I heard crows in one, and the acorns were raining out of it. And I would check different red oak trees walking towards that one, and I'd find a few droppings here and there but when i got to the ones that was dropping fresh right then and the crows were knocking it out and it was the newest one dropping hmm. it was covered 
in in deer droppings. I climbed a tree and killed a deer that evening right there. And uh, but the freshest, I mean, it's I, it's the same with chestnuts too. I've climbed on a what I thought was a hot chestnut, and it would drop an acre and every now and then, and they'd be one I could within hearing distance rain in acorns, and the deer would go to that one. <laughs> so it's. It's, it's individual trees sometimes, and you got to hit them at the right time. Yeah, that's that's the part that I I feel like I've got to get I've got to get better at. Um, we don't have we don't well at least nowhere I hunt that I can think of do I have water oaks up here. There may be some along like the Etowah River, um, but I've never actually hunted over them. But down in down in Middle Georgia, um, Monroe County, um, quite a few water oaks down there on a, a couple of pieces of property that i've hunted in the past and i'm i'm gonna i'm gonna try to hunt them a little bit this year late season i've never i've never really focused on them but i'm i'm definitely going to try to do it um this fall and it's these are tiny and i'm I'm guessing it's the same kind of water oak that you have real small acorns they're not very big you know about the size of a marble uh, Mm um maybe uh, if if that big yeah yeah, the the water oaks. You can go into a flat down here that's got a hundred water oak trees and all of them dropping, and uh, you'll think, man, there's there's no way to to get a traditional bow shot at a deer in here, you know, because all the trees. But if you start checking all the trees, there will be one that's got piles of droppings under it, and there, you know, there'll be a little bit of sign here and there, but there'll be a preferred tree, and uh, as Mister Womack would call it, a primary feed tree, and and the sweet thing about it is when, you know, you hunt that tree and it, and it probably is good, next year, if everything's the same, that tree will be the one on fire again. And that's one thing that's helped myself and Chris and some of us is we, I know individual trees that I, I've cut my walking time way down because I know individual trees to go check and now. And, uh, you know, it's Chris and I, I, I got, a, I have a tree down here, a water oak by my house that I've killed 19 deer out from under. There's a, a stand that I climb. I've killed 19 deer out of that one water oak. And that's, uh, Chris and I have a, a chestnut that we hunt at Horse Creek and we both killed rack bucks out of it and, uh, several deer and hogs. You just, you go check that tree, you know, walk past everything else. Go check that tree and climb if it's right. And if not, then you start really digging in walking around but that, that i guess that's my point in this once you do find a really good tree somewhere if those same conditions are you know the conditions are the same next year well that tree will probably be the be the one to set on again and i that was the that was the other question that i said i was going to ask you and go back on my word about wrapping up on the feed tree questions was is if you find a tree that's hot one year is it a good chance that it would be hot again the next year? And you just answered it. So that's, that's, that's pretty important to, if you want it, cause I, I can't remember things. Um, I, I, I spend too much time trying to remember things with work and everything else. So I, I keep a journal, I write stuff down GPS coordinates and everything, but, um, mm-hmm. yeah, that's, that's, that's interesting to know. It's gotta be, it's gotta be something about the, the soil or something that makes that, no it doubt, it's, it's probably in the soil. Yeah, it, it, no doubt in the soil. It's uh, I actually, I mean, you can <laughs> sounds crazy, but I'll go around biting acorns, and you know, I just to see why do they like this one and that one, and a lot of times you can tell the bitterness in the ones they don't eat. Really? Yep. All right, now I'm gonna have to try that. No, 
I'm sure somebody will, one of my hunting buddies will see me do that and look at me like I've, I've lost my <laughs> mind. But yeah, I'll have to, I'll have to try that out. You've, uh, so we're, we're, we're coming up on uh hour and a half. I don't want to keep you too much longer because I definitely don't want you oversleeping, not getting out in the woods in the morning, but, uh, You've mentioned you've mentioned Horse Creek, um, and I know that's a that's a hunt that I've been wanting to do with you for several years, and somehow I always manage to to book something else the same week that you guys end up having that hunt. But how long have you been having that that hunt down at Horse Creek? This year was the fifteenth year, if I'm not mistaken. It started years ago as uh, I mean, I thought I was the only traditional bow hunter in the world, and then I. I I met somebody. I can't remember who it was now. I think it was Matt Schuster. I can't remember. Anyway, there happened to be a traditional bow hunting club not far from some of the places I hunt. And, and you know, you kind of want to birds of a feather flock together, you know, and, and I, there was no traditional activities down this way. So I actually invited a bunch of those guys down to hunt. More or less, you know, people say, oh, you got guys coming to your honey hole. Well, I got plenty of places to hunt. I wanted to, to socialize with <laughs> like-minded people, you know. And so that's right. kind of how it got started. And and so it, it's grown. And uh, it's every year thing. There's, we have regulars come. We have guys come that come from way off sometimes. But uh, it's the most, you know, anytime you gather a bunch of friends around, it's successful and it's good. But at that time of the year, it's pre-rut. And it's the gun season everywhere else and it's archery only on this place at that time and i when we first started having it our group would be the only people there with just shy of ten thousand acres between us and uh and it's been like that every now and then they may be i mean i've hunted down there three days and other than our group maybe seen seen one other truck and uh you know has hot showers everything it's kind of convenient really good but but we take a lot of game there's a lot of game taken down there a lot of different people, you know, take animals, and there's always where it's at. There's a chance at a Pope and Young. We've we've seen some good ones there, you know, and uh, it's it's a fun hunt. It's it's a beautiful, beautiful place to hunt, and uh, and there's a chance, you know, a lot of guys come that don't have hogs. They want to come down there, and maybe had a chance to kill a hog, and right, and it's, you know, there's always a chance to get one down there. It's it's fun. It's it's that time of the year. The the weather's usually fairly mild it could be it could be hot or it could be cold but it's usually pretty decent but you'll see some bucks you'll see some deer down there and i know um mr womack makes that quite often too doesn't he well he's well, he came one time with us he came one time and hunted with us and oh he, was uh, it just one and time? actually i knew i'd seen videos yeah, or came, something with him down there yeah he came once and uh we had a good it was a and i had honor walking the swamp with him and we got on some pigs and uh, he saw some deer from the tree. We had we had a good hunt, and I think Chris was lucky and killed one. <laughs> but uh, we we've had we've had some some really good hunts. Chris and I both killed. Uh, I killed not a moose, but I killed a ten point. It's only as far as points go. It's the only ten point I've ever killed out of the same tree that Chris killed a hundred and ten inch eight point, which that's a big buck for down here. Out of the same tree under a chestnut I was talking to you about earlier. And, uh, you know, it's always a good chance to, it's my best, the, the property I have to hunt, it's the best chance for me to, to get a, a really good rack buck. And the most satisfying thing to me is to go into a public land swamp with my stand on my back 
knowing, you know, having an idea of what they're feeding on, finding a tree and climbing it, and just if it's a right. doe, you know, taking an animal right there with my boat, that's that's pretty doggone cool. And uh, we have a lot of guys come, uh, and, they, and hats off to the Georgia DNR because they have food plots over there that look like they were in some of these shows you see on TV. I mean, the quality of the plots and a lot of guys kill uh, animals. Well, this year our acorns were a bust and I climbed on a food plot. It had a post oak tree dropping in the mm-hmm. end of it. And uh, there was a lot, I, you know, I don't hunt food plots because you see a lot of deer you can't shoot. But this tree, this had a tree dropping and I figured anything coming in the plot would wind up right there under me and I killed a hog at eight yards, seven seven or eight yards right there. That day, and I was able to take pictures of them before they got there. So it was pretty cool. But, uh, you know, it's, it's for any kind of hunting you want to do. If you like to hunt up in the pines, say some of that. If you like to hunt food plots, some of that. You want to go in the edge of the swamp and hunt, some of that. If you want to go in the deep swamp, we have a tree called a two-mile oak. And because it's two miles from the tree, it's a water oak. But if it drops, you'll kill something on it if you take the trouble to go back there. And uh, I killed one back there on one of our hunts. And it's good hunting in there. And I know you hunt I know you hunt Horse Creek, and I know you hunt uh, Oak Mogey. Uh, WMA quite a bit. Where what other public tracks do you or public WMAs do you hunt? I hunt Bullard. I hunt Bullard Creek. Bullard Creek. I hunt Bullard Creek early bow season because the persimmons are good over there. I hunt flat tub a lot. I hunt. Uh, I hunt big hammock. Some big hammock is. Uh, it's like a Louisiana swamp or something. It's real wet, deep, thick alligators, moccasins. It's it's a uh, it's not a place you want to be lost at at night. I can tell you that. But it's, it's, uh, there's, there's usually more hogs than deer. And, and I'd rather, you know, at that time of the year, I'd rather be hunting deer. But, uh, mostly, mostly, uh, Bullard Creek, Horse Creek, in that order, actually, as the season progresses, I hunt Bullard Creek, Bullard Creek, Flat Tub, and Horse Creek. And, uh, actually, Bullard Creek, I mean, uh, Horse Creek is archery only the last two weeks of the season mm-hmm. in January. And I think there's a group of guys headed down there this year, and and with the food plots being like they are this year and no acorns, I, I'm they probably they probably get some shots down there and kill and kill some game. Very cool stuff. And like I said, I'm gonna I'm definitely gonna I'm gonna make it I'm gonna make it next year one way or the other, even if it's just for a couple of days. Um, and I actually want to try to figure out a way to to get together with you and maybe chase some hogs or something before then. But we'll. We'll talk about that right after we right after we wrap up the podcast for a few minutes. But uh, we're uh, I'm I think we need to look at maybe wrapping this up again. I don't want to keep you too long tonight, RC. But if you've got one, we'd love to hear a, a hunting story from your favorite hunt or or something like that. If I'm not putting you on the spot, um, if one comes to mind, we'd love to hear it before we wrap up. All right. Well, one I guess uh, it would be a turkey hunt, and. Uh... It's going to almost be unbelievable, <laughs> but I was, we like those uh, I was best. at Fort Stewart. <laughs> yeah, it's, I got proof. I got pictures. <laughs> but I was at, I was at, I was at Horse Creek. I mean, uh, Fort Stewart. I was at Fort Stewart turkey hunting and I had, uh, had borrowed, uh, I, I had the Howard Hill longbow craze, but I didn't want to buy one because everybody told me that you'll hate them. So a good friend of mine, Keith Brunner loaned me one. He loaned me a Wesley special he had. And so I was, a, and I liked shoot. I love it. It was a fine bow. I, I I borrowed it, and my conscience wouldn't let me steal it from him, so I had to give it back. <laughs> but uh, I was I was shooting it, and uh, I'd already kind of gave up on my turkey hunting that morning. This was like 
three or four o'clock in the afternoon and I was mostly walking around shooting stumps with that bow. It just, if you've ever, you know, shooting a traditional bow is just enjoyable. Mm-hmm. But I was easy lowering. I heard a turkey gobble and I, and I had, you know, I had all the stuff with me. I had a leafy suit and a, and a diaphragm call and, you know, all I needed as I was turkey hunting. And so I make my way over there towards them and I was in a block I'd never been in. And so I, I yelped one time and it ended up being three gobblers. They, they just was hammering. Unbelievable for that time of the day. And, and I, I've, I've hunted turkeys a lot. And I know that if you get a turkey to gobble after lunch, then you got a really good chance of seeing him. So, uh, so I, I picked me a spot there. I happened to there'd be some big live oak trees there. It's a beautiful place. There's some big lives in between three big live oak trunks and, uh, was hit as good as you could be without a blind. And I was on my knees because the turkeys were coming fast. I didn't think I needed to get comfortable. I needed to get where I could shoot. So I'm, uh, I'm yelping and, and there's a little creek there that I didn't know about a little branch and the turkeys hung up there and they gobbled probably for 20 minutes. So I could tell they were in one spot and wasn't going to move. And I pulled my phone out and, uh, John Bookcart, the guy I told you about, I call mm-hmm. him brother John. I pulled my little cell phone out and uh, I called him. I said, listen to this old man. I yep one time. La, 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 la. They was just a goblin. I'd hold the phone there and uh, lay it back down. And I did that back too because his wife had him at home working in the garden. And <laughs> and anyway, I, I I did that a time or two. And then I heard something. I looked to my right and there was a gobbler walking. He was probably 20 yards from me while all this craziness is going on. And he's in half strut. And he and I, I actually think he saw I was kind of hunched over and I thought he in the leafy suit. And he may have thought a turkey was on the other side and he saw movement. Who knows? But he walked all the way behind me about 12, 15 yards and was coming up the side I can shoot on. I'm on my knees now, leaned way over my elbows, almost touching the ground. The bow was horizontal to the ground and he hit the opening and just like it's supposed to happen, I drew the bow and I missed him. I shot between his legs under him and uh, he flew straight up in the air, come back down. I grabbed another arrow real quick, expect that I was going to shoot him while he was running away and he popped out behind a bush strutting again. And I drew the bow real slow, and he slowly come out of strut as I hit anchor, and I shot him, hit him perfect. And uh, he, he flew up a little bit, and he fell down dead right there. I picked the phone up said, I got him, old man. I got him, old man. <laughs> <laughs> but it was a funny deal. And, it, and I recall, uh, I think our call got disconnected by that time. But anyway, and then oh, uh, he I hung jumped up, up on from you. there. and <laughs> <laughs> I jumped I jumped up from there and let out that, that war whoop, you know, and uh, the three gobblers were still over there. They gobbled at me hollering. And uh, anyway, I went and got my turkey. That's the, the, I've killed three turkeys without a blind, and that was the third one. But with the, the Howard Hill longbow, and uh, it was just, I'll never forget it. Just, uh, every time I'm over there hunting in that block, I'll go by that place and sit there and remember all that and run it through my mind, and it was a, Really cool deal. I was, that's probably my best hunt ever right there. As far as, I mean, you know, having the phone, talking to a guy I love, I think the world of, it was just, it was just really cool. And a guy that appreciates that kind of a hunt as well, you know. That's, that's pretty awesome. I, I really do appreciate you sharing that. Uh, I think the next time we, uh, we'll get you on here again. Maybe we'll figure out a way to get you and Chris on here together or something. But, uh, I think that would be hilarious, but I'm going to let you tell the, I'm going to let you tell the snake story the next time you get on here. Cause I'm sure people are going to be asking what, the- <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, 
But RC, I, I don't want to keep you any longer. It is it is Thanksgiving Eve night. I know you're anxious to, to get into bed so you can get up and hit the woods in the morning. Thank you so much for taking the time to, to hop on here with us. I know there's a lot of people going to really love listening to this. Um, and I've, just, I've, been, I've been honored to sit here and be able to talk to you for an hour and a half, man. I've really enjoyed it. I'm just a guy that's blessed to have good hunting around and time to do it. You know, it's just, Lord has blessed me. I'm thankful. And I, I appreciate you letting me. I mean, I when we talked about this, I'm thinking I, I really don't, you know, I'm no expert. I'm just uh, persistent. You know, I, <laughs> I just get after them. And it's, that's really, I think, all it takes is, is it. And it's, it's a whole lot of enjoyment in it when, uh, you know, when you, when you're doing it for the right reasons, I guess I can say. I, I got friends that, that want to hunt with stick bows just so they can kill one and say they did. Mm-hmm. And and that's, that's, you know, but when you pick that bow up and, and uh, you're hunting with it because it's fun and it's what you want to do, that's, that's pretty cool. Well, and I'll, I'll be honest, you know, a big part of what I'm trying to do with the podcast is is passing down a lot of these lost, lost skills. I mean, you know, I, again, I've learned something here tonight myself. I've just, I've never really approached hunting from the way that, that I know you and, and Chris and some of those other guys do. So it was a good chance for me to ask some of these questions and I know I'm not the only one. I think there's going to be a lot of people that benefit from this and there's going to be a lot of people that just enjoy sitting there and, and listening to you. You talk about it and the, and the passion that you have for what you're doing. So again, I really appreciate it. And uh, I'm pretty sure we'll end up talking to you on here again, because this has been a lot of fun and Nick's going to be super jealous. <laughs> so. Oh, well, I, I, I do have to say this before we go about our Oak Muggy trip. Yeah. About the, maybe you could tell them about the, about the three tenths, the three, the three tenths in a row there. You remember that? I do. I, yeah, we, 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 we called hell about that for, for three days, but <laughs> And you know what's funny? We honestly hey. did not, we didn't plan that at all. What, what, for everybody that wasn't there, what RC's talking about, we rolled into camp. I drove down. Nick and Tom followed me down. Uh, we rolled into camp. It's cold. It was cold from the get go. And all we wanted to do is get those tents set up as quick as we could and then run out and cut a bunch of firewood so we'd have firewood to burn because it was, I mean, it was cold. And we realized after we set the tents up that we had set them up in ascending order. So it was small, medium, and large right in line. And all we heard was about the three little bears and all, oh man, it was just, but it was, it was all in good fun. But yeah, oh yeah. Yes, it wasn't it was. planned. Hey. But we're, you know, we really need to, I'd love to do that, something like that hunt again. That hunt has, I think that's the last time it took place. Um, but that was a lot of fun and brought in a lot of people. We need to figure out a way to rekindle that, whether that's through uh, Darren or, or somebody else. Because I would, I would love to do that all over again oh, yeah. in January or February. So. Oh, yeah, yeah. My wife and I were talking about camping, uh, going up there. She used to camp a lot with me. We would go up there and uh, and spend a few days during the winter and uh, walk around mm-hmm. hunting hogs and stuff. And, and we're probably going this year if nothing changes, but I agree with you. It's a, that's a really good, it's plenty of country and it's got hogs on it and it's just a beautiful place to go hunt. And, you know, and there again, our DNR has done an outstanding job, but the, the campground's pretty nice and it's just a good place to go. 
Well, if you up and, you know, sometime after, after the first of the year when deer season's closed and small game's still open, if you, if you have a weekend that you can go chase hogs somewhere, give me a call and I will do everything I can to get down there and, and spend a couple of days hunting with you. Okay. So, well, RC, thank you so much. I, I'm so glad everything went well with your wife's surgery. I know myself and a lot of others were, were watching that situation and, and glad everything turned out in a positive light there. Um, I wish you the, the happiest of Thanksgivings and uh, continued success with the rest of your hunting season. I appreciate it. All right, and, man. Uh, same to you. Thank you, sir. Talk to you later. Mm-hmm. Good night. All right. Good night.